and uh, so it's a great honor to uh, come back, uh, even though my colleagues in Cambridge always say, don't go over to the dark side. So, um, it's, it's fantastic. It's also nice to be talking uh, about something that really matters instead of Brexit. I've spent uh, the last uh, 14 to 15 months uh, basically not talking about anything else besides the uh, momentous decision, the momentous mistake by the British people last, uh, last June. Today, I'm going to share a little bit of research in progress because I want to talk about the sustainable development goals. Achieving sustainable development is no laughing matter. It's uh, an object objective of the global community and it's not something, uh, it's, it's uh, not the, the final research product that I'm presenting, rather um, I'm presenting a mix of studies in which I've been involved with um, over the last uh, couple of years. Um, I should highlight that uh, much of what I do in the sustainable development space is done in conjunction with colleagues and friends in the Center for International Sustainable Development Law, um, where I'm sort of in charge of the investment and trade law aspects of sustainable development. But by and large, this is a legal charity uh, run uh, out of uh, McGill University uh, with strong links all over the world. And uh, it's sort of my pro bono commitment. Uh, we meet regularly and so for example uh, this evening I'm organizing a climate law discussion uh, about the upcoming bond negotiations and one of my CSDL colleagues is going to be uh, on the panel when we are meeting together in the British Institute at 6 p.m. So those of you who are interested in climate law uh, there's still space to come uh, this evening at 6 p.m. And then next week, we are organizing a Law and Governance Day. Uh, I know not all of you are lawyers. If you're interested in climate governance, uh, take a real look at uh, our CRCL activities in Bonn, where we're going to host uh, a myriad of panels um, all looking at how climate law and governance is developing. Um, yeah, we publishers always say highlight uh, the, the most recent publications. Uh, I should highlight that uh, the sustainable development principles in decisions of international courts and tribunals has just been published in May and I promised uh, the editors that I would highlight that. And some of what I'm going to say is also related to this body of research uh, which we've uh, undertaken since 2002, so we launched this together uh, in parallel to the Johannesburg Summit on Sustainable Development, which we are, uh, I'm, I'm going to refer in a second, and uh, we've been a network, uh, a kind of virtual research center ever since. 
So there's an increased discussion, in case you haven't noticed, about the interaction between environmental rules, uh, human rights, and economic rules. There's a special rapporteur, for example, on human rights and the environment, and his reports are, um, are, are um, very, very instructive. <coughs> And it sort of bags the more theoretical question. What's the, what's the framework under which these discussions take place? What is the role of sustainable development? It clearly isn't to replace existing environmental rules. It's clearly not designed to uh, replace existing uh, international economic law. It's something else. And that's something else... I want to explore a little bit today with regards to the Sustainable Development Goals. And if, in case you haven't heard of the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, it, you should be forgiven because um, they haven't really entered the legal debate. And so part of my talk today is to a certain extent change that and <coughs> highlight the fact that even though the Sustainable Development Goals are just objectives, they're designed as a policy document, they're not void of any uh, legal content and legal meaning. And um, we'll, we come back to that in, in the discussion, I hope. Um, it allows us to revisit the concept of sustainable development in the light of the Sustainable Development Goals and uh, maybe come up with answers that aren't very obvious, right? So rather than using the traditional UN hierarchy where uh, peace and uh, war trump the economy, so war trumps the economy, the economy trump human rights, and human rights trump the environment. If you ask UN officials, that's at least the, the sort of uh, informal hierarchy. We need a very different approach to that kind of relationship. Uh, we can't actually, um, uh, we, we can't completely ignore the environmental dimension, even when uh, applying human rights or um, acting under international economic law. And um, I and some of my colleagues have written hefty volumes sort of making that argument. But there's an ongoing discussion about sustainable development. And so this talk uh, pres uh, presents one, one view of the world. Uh, of course, there are other views out there. Um, I had long discussions with my, uh, my former boss, Von Lowe, uh, with whom I worked very closely while I was here in Oxford. And he wrote famously that Sustainable development is an interstitial norm, right? It lies as, at the interstice between competing areas and has the same function as peace in international law. So it's not one principle, it's not one concept, it's uh, outside the sort of legal, uh, legal debates um, uh, or day-to-day -day debates. And nonetheless, will influence judicial decision-making. Um, and there's the other end of the spectrum, uh, which says um, 
No, sustainable development is actually a very concrete principle. Right? It's used by um, courts and tribunals, and it's mainly, uh, I would call that the integration principle. It's mainly designed to integrate uh, environmental and social aspects into economic decision-making. And that's how a court can use that kind of uh, principle of sustainable development. Uh, the international legal texts are... I wouldn't say all over the place, but uh, quite diverse. Some refer to the principle of sustainable development. If you look at the Charter of Fundamental Rights in the EU, others call it a concept, and that's my preferred uh, uh, nomenclature for sustainable development. So if you look at the recent uh, Canada-EU free, free Trade Agreement and its treaty on uh, its chapter on sustainable development, it clearly refers to the concept of sustainable development, then makes reference to all sorts of uh, declarations. Uh, what is important is that the sustainable development goals sh shall comply with the Rio Declaration and be compatible with international law. So in the very first international legal document, which called for the elaboration of the sustainable development goals, we already had the, the kind of mandate that the sustainable development goals be compatible with the Rio Declaration, whatever that means in legal terms, and compatible with international law. Um, the reading, uh, as you will see, that the, the negotiators of the sustainable development goals then used with not to do a detailed legal analysis as to whether each and every sustainable development goal and every target is compatible with international law, but rather highlight where there, there are frictions and uh, there are possible, possible conflicts between uh, international legal norms and the sustainable development goals. And that leads me to my, my first claim. There are certain rules of international law which might um, hinder the fulfillment of the sustainable development goals, but uh, more to that later. National legal and international regimes can foster or frustrate the SDGs. That's almost uh, a, a, a no-brainer then. Um, the sustainable development goals were designed for national policymakers. The targets are clearly designed to be achieved by national governments, but um, they have uh, developed a bit of a life of the, their, themselves and, and their own uh, in the sense that the United Nations uh, have decided that most of their policy work now has to be guided by the Sustainable Development Goals. So uh, in, in a way elevated the, the document to the international level. Just exactly what do I mean by sustainable development as a concept? Um, I'm closely related to uh, Marie-Claire Cordemy-Seger and Ashraf Kalfan, with whom I've uh, done quite a bit of research on these matters. And this is sort of our vision, uh, a neat uh, little Venn diagram where uh, sustainable development law sits at uh, the, the middle and you can basically discover 
the sustainable development principles, which are equally valid in international economic law, international environmental law, and international human rights or social law. But as I said, that is very much a contested notion. There's no agreement uh, in international law on this matter. I think for the purpose of today's talk, we can agree that sustainable development remains a relevant concept. And even though some of my colleagues, even in Cambridge, have predicted the demise of sustainable development or the downward uh, sustainable development snake, um, those, uh, uh, the news of uh, the demise of sustainable development as a concept are uh, grossly um, uh, yeah, overrated. So, where does sustainable development come from? Uh, this is just uh, a bit of background um, uh, and just to highlight that in my view, so my, my central claim uh, this afternoon here to you is that we're seeing a very similar development uh, that we've seen with the concept of sustainable development um, from a policy, strictly policy document to much more of a legal content, also with the sustainable development goals. So sustainable development uh, started as a concept of international policy making in different processes, um, whereas the Stockholm Declaration on uh, the human environment uh, resulting from the conference on the human environment was mainly taking an environmental focus, uh, the Brundtland Report, which came, famously came up with this um, notion of sustainable development uh, and actually had a legal annex. So those of you who are interested in the history of some of these norms should uh, revisit the legal annex of our common future, the Brundtland Report. Um, Develop that concept further because it was seen as a compromise between developing uh, countries and developed countries. Developing countries still wanting uh, quite a bit more economic development and developed countries still wanting those same countries to do more of their share to uh, protect the global environment and, and to address global environmental challenges. And sustainable development is therefore a, a compromise norm. It balances different, um, different priorities. And we as lawyers, actually quite good at balancing different priorities, right? So um, if you look at concepts uh, like, um, uh, like proportionality, in proportionality, it's basically the, the sort of archetype of a balancing principle. Yeah? You would never say, oh, just one of the values uh, uh, takes priority. No, you balance the different uh, uh, priorities that you're using in, uh, when you're applying the pr pr uh, proportionality principle. And similarly, uh, sustainable development as a concept tries to balance uh, different priorities. Um, the most recent, so we, we fast, so then we had the Rio Declaration and Agenda 21, which uh, were uh, part of the Rio Earth Summit in uh, 1992, probably around the same time that many people here in the room were born. Um, but 
It also led to the adoption of three international treaties, the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, the UN uh, Convention on Biological Diversity, and the UNCCD, the Convention on Combating Desertification. So the three real conventions really breathe that concept of sustainable development. So, uh, for example, the Convention on Biological Diversity, moving away from the, the, the strict sort of protection-only conservation concept into a much more fluid, sustainable use of uh, precious natural resources while still protecting um, uh, biological resources. Um, and the Rio Declaration, uh, those of you who studied uh, international law will know that uh, it's often the, the one main example of a soft law document, right? So um, uh, when we're talking about the, the, the legal sources and we are struggling to find an example, we use the Rio Declaration. Um, nonetheless, many of the principles are now seen as principles of customary international law. So if you look at the ICJ or if you read the, the Routledge book together, put together by, by uh, CSDR colleagues, you will see that, uh, for example, impact assessment in a cross-border context is now mandated by customary international law. And that's, in a way, that was foreshadowed in the Rio Declaration. We fast forward to 2012. Uh, which is uh, when the Rio Plus 20 summit was held in, in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil again, and the Future We Want Declaration was adopted, uh, which uh, tried to sort of reiterate, reiterate the concept of sustainable development and make it relevant for the 21st century. Um, there are lots of debates about the legal status of sustainable development. Um, the, the most common definition is, of course, the one chosen in the Brundtland Report itself, development that meets the needs of present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. Generally, we would say it calls for balanced integration of social, economic, and environmental aspects in development decision-making. Uh, in Gapshukoro Najimaros, um, an ICJ case uh, of the 1990s, the court said um, whether uh, the, the need to reconcile economic development with protection of the environment is aptly expressed in the concept of sustainable development. And in the 2002 Johannesburg Plan of Implementation, the uh, negotiators uh, said that there are over 300 treaties <coughs> that were highlighted by states as contributing to sustainable development. And not all treaties are post-1992 treaties, so not all treaties contain the term sustainable development, but try to achieve that uh, objective. Uh, by 2012, sustainable development was recognized as an explicit objective in more than 40 multilateral and regional treaties, including trade treaties, which reflect sustainable development principles, I mentioned the, the CETA. It's no surprise that most of the trade treaties concluded by the European Union also contain sustainable development as an objective because the EU itself um, has as an objective sustainable development. 
And if you're interested in the more legal, technical uh, aspects, I refer you to the uh, New Delhi Declaration of the Principles of International Law related to sustainable development, where the experts from the ILA, and where uh, part of the sponsors is the ILA branch here, uh, discovered seven principles of international okay. law, which are equally valid in human rights, in the environment, and in economic affairs. So I would argue some of these New Delhi principles are probably closer to customary international law than some of the Rio principles. Uh, the area that I know best, and, and please, if you have questions afterwards, ask me about uh, international economic law, because uh, that's where uh, I feel I'm on, on firm ground. Of course, in international economic law, those of you who study uh, WTO or investment will know that sustainable development is also one of the objectives of the World Trade Organization. And it's interesting because there's a, a little history behind it. If you look at the preamble, it seems to only um, mention the optimal use of the world's resources in accordance with the objective of sustainable development. Whereas the dispute settlement uh, mechanism then later said, no, 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 sustainable development as a whole is an objective of the World Trade Organization, supported by WTO member states. But nonetheless, um, in a way, that's a shift away from the strict sort of uh, uh, literal interpretation of the preamble to a much broader um, uh, concept and, and objective of the World uh, Trade Organization itself. And um, if you wondered how the WTO interprets this, uh, the Shrimp Turtle case is still, uh, in my view, the, the most uh, pertinent uh, by describing it as integrating economic and social development and environmental protection, or um, uh, referring in the footnote in the uh, recourse according to Article 21.5 decision, uh, to Agenda 21 and the Rio Declaration. So then, what are the Sustainable Development Goals? Uh, the UN Conference on Sustainable Development, Rio Plus 20, took place in June 2012, and states decided to launch a process to develop a set of Sustainable Development Goals, which built upon the Millennium Development Goals, and uh, were designed to converge with uh, the post-2015 agenda. Because the Millennium Development Goals that were adopted around the year 2000 were due to expire in 2015. And so the question that states asked was, what are we going to replace it with? Developing countries um, felt that um, there, there was still a bit of patronizing going on with the Millennium Development Goals because they were exclusively designed for developing countries. They were exclusively designed to be benchmarked against actions of developing countries. And uh, so they were used in some context as a form of conditionality uh, when it comes to development assistance and, and, and other means of assistance. So developing countries said, no, 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 we need to actually uh, live up to the concept of sustainable development 
which is supposed to be an integrating concept um, that applies not just to developing countries, but also to developed countries in equal measure. So from the very beginning, this process was designed to come up with goals and objectives that are equally relevant for developing and developed countries. And in a way that uh, then makes them uh, so much more relevant because we're not just looking at goals that are maybe difficult or maybe easy to achieve for developing countries. No, we're looking for goals and targets that all countries are supposed to, uh, to achieve in the next 15 to 20 years. So there's a time horizon, they're time bound as sustainable development goals up to 2030. And uh, ideally, all the targets, uh, some of the targets have earlier timelines, 2025, 2020, um, in, in terms of when countries are supposed to achieve them. They were developed in a highly participatory process uh, that was, in my view, exemplary in their consultation efforts with stakeholders. Um, there was, as I said, a very early decision to have a common set of goals for all countries. And um, I and CSTL participated in that stakeholder process. So we gave input, uh, we highlighted which goals we thought were particularly important. Initially, there was only, um, the, the objective was to only have 10 goals because 10 is a, is a nice <coughs> round number that policymakers uh, can easily use in their, their policy processes. They ended up uh, with quite a few more uh, sustainable development goals, but I think rightly so, because it highlights the different priorities that uh, a modern state should have. Uh, these sustainable development goals were then adopted as a general assembly resolution, and I don't have to uh, tell you what the legal value of a general assembly resolution is, right? So it's not meant to uh, create international legal obligations as such for states, but it is also not void or devoid of any legal meaning. Uh, so 17 sustainable development goals were developed and 169 related time-bound targets and specific means of implementation were also adopted. Um, they were designed as a simple policy document for national implementation. And here's the vi visualization of the sustainable development goals. Um, so what are some of the goals? You have goals like um, no poverty, zero hunger, good health, quality education, gender equality, clean water and drinking water. Um, and then affordable, clean energy for all, decent work, um, industry, innovation, and infrastructure, reduced inequalities, sustainable cities and communities, responsible consumption, climate action, life below water, life on land, peace, justice, and strong institutions. And then the, the sort of catch-all goal 17 of partnerships, but also, for example, emphasizing the rule of law in uh, implementing the Sustainable Development Goals. So what is then the, the legal meaning of 
these sustainable development goals. And that's where the research in progress um, is, uh, comes into play. What we've done is we're, um, and we're still working on it, uh, we've come up with a matrix where we benchmark the sustainable development goals uh, or, or we match the sustainable development goals with existing international legal obligations. Not necessarily legal obligations of all states, uh, legal obligations in regional or very specific treaties, but uh, our assumption here was, and some of the research is actually bearing that, uh, proving that we are not completely mistaken, is that many of the sustainable development goals are already contained in international treaties. So many of the goals are already form already part of the international legal obligation of states. And then, so the question is, and, and that's where we're still working on it, um, can, we, can we facilitate that process? Can we highlight and pinpoint exactly where the uh, obligation lies and how states are supposed to implement them? Um, and here, I've just put together uh, three slides which highlight a little bit and, and give you a taste of how that matrix structure could, uh, could look like. We've done this very successfully um, with the seven ILA principles. If you go to the uh, CISDL website, there is a research tool which matches um, all the seven principles with rulings of international courts and tribunals. And we're in the process of doing something very similar with treaty law, but then also with decisions of international court and tribunals uh, with regards to the sustainable development goals. So to end poverty in all its forms and everywhere uh, could be seen as a uh, universal human right. It's uh, definitely part of the international covenants on, um, uh, on human rights. End hunger and achieve food security uh, the right to food, the right to water have been recognized by declarations of uh, the human rights bodies. But um, the FAO treaty or the, the C treaty under the FAO could also be seen as uh, treaties that pursue the same objectives. Uh, goal three, the right to health, um, again, is in the international covenants, is also in the rights of the child convention, for example, goal four, um, inclusive, equitable education uh, is, again, the right to education is in the human rights covenant, but uh, the convention on the elimination of discrimination of all forms against women would also um, be one of the international treaty instruments which contain that uh, objective. Um, Again, goal five uh, is, is very relevant. Uh, CEDAW is, uh, and, and the Convention on the Rights of the Child, again, two treaties that most countries or many countries have already uh, ratified and implemented, already ask us to achieve that kind of objective. And then uh, to ensure availability and sustainable management of water, my colleague Alfred Kalfan has written an entire DFIL thesis on the right to water, 
and used the declarations and the expressions in national law and international law to, to prove that the right to water really exists. And we later then had human rights, uh, um, what, what are they called? I'm not a human rights lawyer, but they're, I think, operational comments or something like that. Uh, what are they called? Is it general comments? Yes, they're general comments. There is a general comment on the right to water and it's also been endorsed by the, the General Assembly, for example. Um, it becomes a little bit more difficult once we leave the, the first six goals, which are sort of uh, very human rights, socially oriented, uh, ensure access to affordable and reliable modern energy. Uh, the best I could come up with was the IRENA treaty. The International Renewable Energy Agency has a founding treaty, which actually tries to promote renewable and, and clean clean energy, but even the Energy Charter Treaty could be seen as at least in part contributing to that goal. Uh, again, uh, goal eight, promote, sustain and inclusive, sustainable economic growth. The ILO conventions, uh, the WTO treaties, right? Many people don't realize that one of the objectives of the WTO is actually raising standard of living, right? How do you do that? Um, well, goal eight, um, is, is maybe an expression of that. And we can go through, um, if we move on to uh, goal 12, uh, I was actually one of the co-authors of the UNEP CSTL study on this, and uh, we looked at sustainable consumption and production patterns, we looked at uh, um, at uh, the WTO regime and, and its dispute settlement decisions. Um, and, and one of the interesting areas is, for example, uh, are the illegal logging provisions in certain FTAs. So if you look at the um, US-Peru um, free trade agreement, they have a specialized annex on uh, certification and combating illegal logging. So that would ensure sustainable uh, consumption of, of wood, for example. Um, and then, yeah, the other, other conventions such as the CBD or the Ramsar Convention protect life on, on land, um, especially protect, restore, promote sustainable use of terrestrial ecosystems, sustainably manage forests, combat desertification, and halt and reverse land degradation and halt biodiversity loss. The CBD, the CCD, and uh, for example, the Bonn Conventions, uh, so the Conventions on uh, Protection of um, Migratory Species, CM CMA, um, are some of the examples that pursue similar objectives to the SDGs here. So then what's the legal significance? Um, I already told you what my central claim here this afternoon is, and I've got a little bit of evidence. It's just uh, nascent, but if you have more evidence, please email me. Um, so legal practitioners are starting to use the Sustainable Development Goals as clarifying the objective of sustainable development, which we already know is contained in so many international treaty instruments. So, for example, the amicus curia brief by the World Health Organizations 
explicitly expands uh, and, and cites Sustainable Development Goal 3 and the objective of all to ratify the Tobacco Convention as one of the reasons for their intervention in the Philip Morris was Uruguay case, which Uruguay so famously won. Uh, but, the, for example, Brazil also used the Sustainable Development Goals uh, when explaining their taxation measures in a WTO dispute uh, that was decided in August of this year, and India, uh, when defending their measures relating to solar cells and solar modules, also used the Sustainable Development Goals as explaining why their particular measures were necessary. I should highlight that both Brazil and India failed with their Sustainable Development Goal arguments, so it's, uh, there's maybe still a little bit more work that needs to be done. So coming to almost my conclusion, uh, I think the Sustainable Development Goals and their targets can be found in the object and purpose of many international uh, treaties in the field of sustainable development. While many SDGs in principle and many targets in concrete terms already form part of international legal obligations of state, the SDGs have been received by legal practitioners it's much more than a simple policy document. The SDGs are shaping the application and interpretation of sustainable development as a concept and perhaps interstitial norm, arguably more than the Rio Declaration principles. Um, and although they were designed as a set of country level goals, the SDGs are already shaping the rules for our common future at the international level. Um, and there's more evidence in the policy briefs that uh, me and my colleagues have come up with. At the national level, we see the Sustainable Development Goals shaping legislative efforts. So uh, Oxford is famous for uh, looking at uh, domestic law and domestic legal decisions when interpreting uh, international law. So we shouldn't forget that uh, international legal practice is shaped by domestic laws. There's a trend towards new innovative laws ensuring outcomes similar to the SDGs across many industries and within de both developed and developing countries. New legal frameworks and institutions at the international, European and domestic level are being tested and procedural innovations can help to realize the SDGs. In many contexts, the existence of international legal frameworks can accelerate the pace of innovation at the national level. And we've done an entire study, um, uh, Alexandra Harrington and I, for UNEP, where uh, together with colleagues from all over the world, we tried to um, come up with a compendium of uh, innovative promotion, uh, provisions uh, that countries are adopting for, to promote the green economy for sustainable development and poverty eradication. So what's the future legal research agenda then in this space? Um, I think it's clear that sustainable development goals require legal innovations. Uh, the concept of sustainable development is not just a political but a legal concept and the SDGs define the value judgments involved in applying sustainable development as a concept. And more research, uh, forgive the academic at the end, more research is of course needed to evaluate how the 
arguments based on the SDGs actually change the legal existing legal practice and what kind of form the the future legal arguments based on the SDGs will actually take. And with that, I end. Thank you very much.